0: Hey everyone, welcome to the show today. I'm really excited. I've got a special guest, the Clean Libertarian. Drew Cook is here to talk to us today about some very interesting work he's been doing
1: with the Libertarian Party. Drew, yeah. welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me, man. This is an honor. Anytime I get to talk to y'all for sure. Happy, happy to, and we
0: were on your show uh, like last year sometime.
1: Yeah, yeah. That like, fun. I think that we 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 run along parallel lines you know obviously um you know I'm, I'm more involved in the political landscape but uh ultimately voluntary charity wins the day you Absolutely. Know, you can't beat that it's true it's true I, I see you
0: have some different branding right now like, like the Mr. Clean type thing oh on. yeah
1: so the uh, <laughs> Mr. Top Lobster made that for me I've and uh, he uh yeah, he made me way more jacked than I'll ever be in my whole life.
0: <laughs> Very flattering. That's that the guy, beautiful you know? thing about art. You can do things like that. You
1: can do things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. That's great. So Drew, there's,
0: I've seen on the interwebs, there's been a bit of a shakeup in the Libertarian Party, and that's uh, what first drew my attention to the efforts that you have going now. But can you talk about a little bit about? What happened? What was the big deal with what went down with the Libertarian Party?
1: Yeah, So, you know, historically, um, the party, and I say historically, because I think a lot of the people who were really behind the Mises caucus um, uprising have, you know, more or less been loosely uh, attached to the Libertarian Party for the past six years or so. And so, Historically, in six years or so, in that sense, it's been very lame messaging coming out of the party, right? Um, very beltway libertarian, um, mm-hmm. especially on the lockdowns, like it was very, very soft, you know um, I'd noticed
0: that too like when i when I try to think what uh, what Rothbard would have said about the government uh, locking everyone down and shutting down the economy, and then uh, these milk toast tweets from yeah. libertarian the official libertarian party uh didn't didn't match up
1: at all like it it, it still uh, doesn't register with me how anybody could not be have such a visceral reaction you know to to that type of overstep but there we were and so um that was really the driving force uh behind why the reno reset as it were was was needing to happen um you know, a couple of big names like Dave Smith, um, uh, you know, got on board and really started pushing this idea of the of the Reno reset. And man, they they showed up with numbers. You know, in um, Reno, just gauging on the floor of convention, I mean, easily three quarters of the body that was on the floor or uh, Mises, you know, adjacent or you know, actually Mises Caucus people. And uh, yeah, those votes were swift and very one sided you know, and so um, fast forward to where we are now. uh, There are some changes with like the abortion plank uh, that was removed. And then, you know, the wording about, you know, bigotry is irrational and repugnant uh, was taken out and it was changed up. It's not gone. It's just worded differently. And so, um, yeah, it's still and and how I felt for a long time is like I'm stuck somewhere in between these like really left libertarians and the Mises, like I'm right there in the middle and like, I just don't care. So that's why we made. That's why I do the sober caucus, man, like it's the one area in the party where I'm like, OK, I can do this. You know, I get this. Nice. So and that that was what uh, all the
0: buzz about the libertarian party and the shakeup with the Mises caucus, that's what uh, drew my attention to your work with the Sober Caucus. So what what is that exactly? Is it like a subset of the Mises Caucus or of the Libertarian Party? What is it organization-wise?
1: It's it's essentially just a uh, body within the Libertarian Party. Uh, We are an issues caucus, not a candidate caucus. So for instance, leading up to Reno, we had a member who was looking at an LNC seat you know, and um, asked for our endorsement and we declined, not because we don't believe they were the best for the job, but we don't want to ever become that, right? We just, we are here solely for the purpose of um, providing a safe atmosphere for like-minded individuals who are at a convention or if they don't want to drink, if they don't want to use, they don't want to be around it, they can hang out with us. Um, The other part of it is, Is that it is our firm belief that people that are in recovery are the very best voices to amplify when it comes to talking down prohibitionists. Um, Here you have a group of people who were calling for the end of the war on drugs and they do not have a vested interest in that, um, you know, as you would find somebody who was going to recreationally use whatever, Mm -hmm. right. Uh, none of us are ever going to use again, yet we can still all proudly and loudly say that the end to the war on drugs is the best way forward for this country. And so that's okay. a pretty
0: powerful, pretty powerful voice, because you think about the, uh, you know, the stuff they usually have for the anti-drug campaigns is the ki- the people who, uh you know, I, I was addicted for this many years, and I got caught by the law, and so I had to turn my life around, and that's why I should, we should pass all these laws, yeah have someone saying, no, that's why we should not pass all these laws. That's a pretty strong counter message,
1: yeah, without a doubt, man and um, so that was the initial outset that that's the goal, and that's the goal we've maintained, but we've also kind of like um evolved a little bit um in Reno, we brought a hundred fentanyl test strips and twenty four doses of narcan and distributed them freely to anybody at convention um so you know we were able to really talk about harm reduction and have that option there for anybody. Because if you think about it, a national convention, you have people flying in from all around the country, and they're going to if they're going to party, they're going to party on the local supply. The chances that they were trying to smuggle things through security checkpoints from the airport is slim to none. So we wanted them to at least be safe about that. So and the
0: uh, go ahead. So I, I don't know too much about the. V- the recreational substances scene, Uh, what are those test strips? What are those? What do they do?
1: Okay. So, um, fentanyl is a synthetic opiate that has been prominently showing up in everything on the market. Um, it is the driving force behind, you know, the hundred thousand overdose deaths that we saw in 2020. Um, and what a fentanyl test strip is, is a uh, method to test whatever substance that you have purchased to uh, tell if there is a presence of fentanyl in it or not. Um, Fentanyl is an extremely potent opiate, and if you are not used to taking that, a very small amount can and will, uh, you know, put lights out Mm -hmm. pretty much. And Narcan um, is something that will reverse the effects of an overdose so it's a nasal spray somebody's overdosing administer they come back around it's okay. a miracle miracle drug in and of itself it's amazing wow
0: that is pretty amazing and you were you had these uh, to distribute
1: to anyone who wanted them mm-hmm. yeah we left them um so we had it a hospitality room which was really really cool and um on the table in the hospitality room, we just left it there for the entirety of convention. Uh, we, we, you know, advertised it, said, hey, no questions asked. Just come grab it if you need it. Because like, you know, nobody, uh, the, the likelihood of somebody coming up and say, hey, I need some of those or, you know, it, it's just, it's an awkward conversation, <laughs> you know, go yeah. ask the sober guy for the fentanyl test strip, you know, so <laughs> we just left them sitting out and they all got taken every single one wow I was
0: gonna ask did, did any of them get used all of them Whew. yeah
1: yeah man wow. yeah so where, where did the funds to purchase those come from we raised funds amongst ourselves um, and amongst the party at large uh, leading up to the convention we, we fundraised and um, we just said hey we got a hospitality room this is what we want to do and we had so much support from everybody um we raised like a thousand dollars before convention um, while at convention, uh, we actually raised an additional $335, which we were, well, I'm sorry, $353. And we were able to take that and, um, donate that to a local fellowship hall there in Reno, Nevada. And, um, so it's just like, you know, we, we, none of those funds that we've taken in get used for us, right? Like that's not a, uh, us thing. It's, it's, and everybody think, how can we use this money to benefit other people? And um that's kind of been where we're at with it, right? Um post-convention, something really cool that I'm I'm pumped up about is that um we actually were we had enough money left over from cause like coffee from a hotel is expensive, man. Like uh what did we, it was like 10 gallons of coffee cost us five hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> yeah man and so like Ooh. and the hotel had very strict uh guidelines like you could not bring in outside food or drink we still did you know but we wanted to at least buy the coffee from them mm-hmm. but yeah um even after everything um we had enough money left over to we now have two scholarships 500 dollars scholarships available one to anybody regardless of party affiliation and the other one um, reserved specifically for LP members. And these scholarships are for people who are needing to go to treatment or getting to sober living. And they just need a little help with that. And so uh, that's what we, we were able to do. We still have more left over. We're just trying to figure out what's the best thing to do with it at this point, you know? Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So it sounds
0: like you're doing some things that are almost like a, a non-profit charity, but you're a the word that comes to mind is club, (laughs) not quite a a club within the libertarian party, but it seems like you kind of are because you don't advocate for, you don't advocate for specific people to fill roles, but would it be accurate to say that you advocate for certain policies or towards certain policies?
1: Absolutely. And and that's kind of a long-term goal for the caucus as well as to kind of network and see what's working elsewhere in the country, like what local changes, what local initiatives and petitions are moving the needle, you know, to fix this prohibition issue that we have. And, um, you know, that's long term as it stands right now. There's a couple of things, you know, we're looking at that's in the works, but um, we're still just gathering members, making sure that we have people that the goal is to have members in every single state right and um we're a long ways off from that but we are getting closer so that's the cool bit
0: nice one one member at a time
1: yeah man so
0: the it sounds like the sober caucus existed before the toss-up or switch-up with the mises caucus taking over the libertarian party is that right yeah
1: absolutely um we um so the sober caucus actually started as the straight edge caucus. And it was, uh, 2000, 2020 roundabout that, that the concept was created. I actually made a poll on Twitter, um, and, and like the I think 12 people, wisdom. <laughs> yeah the source of all wisdom man like um I, I was like should this you know concept come to life you know should I see this through and I think like 10 people said yes and like it, it would have only taken one person saying yes for me to like you know <laughs> say no more fam like we'll get it but um yeah that's when it started and and it took about a year of consistently talking about hey this is something I want to start holler at me let's get it together and then a couple of core members really you know came in and and helped me kind of get the ball rolling and then a few more people and then before you knew it we were actually meeting on a semi-regular basis and um came up with some bylaws that fun thing everybody just absolutely loves and yeah. The, the most important thing we did come up with was a statement of principle, which I, I'm still very proud of the way that that looks, because it came out awesome. Um, and so, yeah, we, we are about, give her, officially, I think we're about a year old, officially, since we had bylaws and said, hey, we are a thing. So, nice, yeah. So I'm curious about that, the statement of
0: principle, I, I won't ask you to recite it or anything like that, but if you can boil it down into one or two sentences, what is, what is the principle of the silver caucus?
1: So the principle is using libertarian policies to, um, using libertarian policies and principles to advocate for um, safe drug use in the market. So it's, it's a very strong harm reduction stance, but it's also a very strong recovery stance. Um, neither, either, neither, neither con, condoning or shouting down any type of particular narcotics use. We, mm-hmm. we really wanted to never come across as like some sort of elitists, you know, like, um, there's room for everybody to do whatever you want to do. Um, mm-hmm. we just make a very strong statement that, you know, we believe that this is the best pathway forward for the market. Um, And essentially it's like, you know, dead addicts can't recover. It's that kind of mentality. Mm -hmm. If I were to boil it down and I, yeah, sorry, man. No, no, it's a, it,
0: it makes me think of the general, uh, well, of course, the victimless Mm -hmm. crime. Yes. The victimless crime. The, The classic example is drug use, because if someone does start hitting drugs too hard, the person they're harming is themselves. Right. And right. you could say, oh, but, but they're harming their family, too, if they have a family. Well, the same thing could be true about gambling or alcohol abuse, any other self-destructive behavior. The primary yeah. person who's getting hurt is the person who's doing it. And adding another element of harm, throwing them into prison, it's obviously the threat of that obviously isn't deterring them. From doing what they're doing, it's just hurting them more.
1: Well, let's let's be realistic too. Um, I, I think, and I and I know he gets harped on a lot. Maybe he deserves it. Maybe he doesn't. I don't know. But Hunter Biden, it doesn't matter about the person. It's it's all about socioeconomic status. Like, who do you know? Mm. So the people that are getting har- harmed by um, you know this prohibitionist policy is the poverty-stricken communities. You know, it's not the well-to-do families. It's not in those neighborhoods or or sections of the population. Yeah, Um, And often there's a
0: racial element to that. Very much so. You know, people point the finger of racism a lot nowadays, but the most racist organization has always been the state. Without a
1: doubt, man. The way around that. Without a doubt. And and it's not just what I don't think a lot of people realize is what life is like for a felon. Once they come out of jail, um, I can tell you around here in Oklahoma, if you have a trafficking or distribution charge, you are not getting a lease on an apartment. Bottom line ain't going to happen. Nobody's going to rent to you at all. Um, what do you do with that? I mean, what is your option when you come out? Like hotels are expensive. I don't even I, even yeah. extended stay spots. I mean, you're, you're talking. It adds you know, up. Yeah. That's double the amount of rent that you wouldn't you know, need to pay in order to live comfortably, at least on a minimum wage salary, because that's pretty much the only job you're going to be able to get with those fresh charges on your record.
0: Yeah. And yeah. then there's the incentive still there for them to turn back to the drugs. Big time. And, yeah. And exacerbated by the punishments, the punitive stuff that the state has stacked on them. Yeah. And that's that's one thing that I've, really admire about the approach of the sober caucus and the anti-teetotaling and yet still against the it's kind of it's kind of both ways you're you're against it but you're also against the laws that are against it
1: yes and so like my my other little side venture is the clean libertarian podcast right Mm -hmm. and that actually started out as a blog and i've been doing that for Oh uh, man, a few years now. And when I first started, I had a very narrow view of what addiction and recovery looked like. As a matter of fact, I had a very narrow view about what narcotics use in and of itself looked like. But as I started interviewing more people, my perspective began to change. Um, there was one interview that I had in particular that really was eye opening. And that was um, Dr. Carl Hart. He wrote a book called Drug Use for Grownups. And this is a uh, Columbia professor who is a uh, neuroscientist. And he has done lots and lots of studies on the effects of narcotics on the brain. And what sets Carl Hart apart from a lot of his colleagues is he actually openly admits to uh, using recreational heroin.
0: Yeah. That's so, not usual, for, <laughs> not usual for at all. Professor.
1: Not at all. And, you know, he's what he says is that based on the data that he has seen on the testing and everything else, is that. The concept and idea that people who use these drugs are instantly addicted is not true. It's a it's a it's specific people who are getting addicted and it's certainly not the majority. And so that's kind of the other part of this, too, is that as a sober caucus uh, member uh, wanting to see an end to the war on drugs is also to want to see more studies along those lines bringing these substances out of the black market, out of the dark alleyways and putting them into the light and letting people run their tests and really figure out like what's going on here and allowing consumers to have that honest conversation with the retailer. Um, I would, I would hazard to say that there's far more applicable uses for these substances than we would ever know, you know, because they are vilified so instantly. And so I'm sorry to keep peeling back other layers of the onion on you, but that was another kind of uh, angle there. No, that is really interesting
0: because you're right. Definitely about the barrier to real research because it's illegal. No one's going to come forward. If, even if you try to do a study and say, Oh yes, I, I do that drug. I want to be part of the study. Yeah. The, even the the stigma because of the laws, like you mentioned, where well, you've got this conviction. We know you were a user. You can't, uh, you can't rent from us. Yeah. <clears throat> but the possibility of legitimate medical treatments has just been completely shut off by the government's war on drugs. Yeah. And what gets me the, the biggest difference is the place where it comes from, because politicians like to play on people's on people's sympathies on their emotions to pass things like anti-drug laws but nothing the government does ever comes from a place of love or concern they play on the love and concern of people to get these laws passed but then it's always coercion and violence but coming from a genuine place of love and concern actually trying to help people like you guys are doing that makes a world of difference and i think it's far more effective in the long run you know you can't essentially when it boils down to it these are laws that are trying to enforce morality and you can't enforce morality you can just make hypocrites
1: yeah so like here's what makes recovery work and it's across the board, it's this holds true for every single person who ever quit using drugs and has found freedom from substance abuse disorder. That is a total and complete surrender to the idea that you cannot use successfully. Okay. <clears throat> Here's the difference in between the approach that you find in the rooms or elsewhere and the approach that you find in a courthouse. Over here in the twelve-step meeting and abroad, you have the term surrender. Over here in the courtrooms, you have compliance. You are only teaching compliance. You cannot mandate the surrender required in order for that change to happen. At the end of a gun, it will never happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And that's that's the point, right? Like that's okay. Uh, you know, remember the movie Inception. Yes. Okay. You know how the idea had to be planted in the guy's head. And so he had to think of it himself. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Okay. So it's kind of like that. That person has to arrive at that place of surrender as an individual. Now we can provide information. We can help them in that. But ultimately, nobody is forcing you to arrive at this place in the recovery rooms. But in a courthouse, you are being forced or attempted to be forced to arrive at that place mm-hmm. can't work yeah you can't really
0: change someone's heart or change their mind like that you can no. temporarily change their behavior but at the very least the moment the gun is pointing somewhere else they're going to go yep. back to if not doing it beforehand and they just don't care about the consequences anymore because they've been driven to that yeah mm. but the change yeah. real change can only come from in Inside the person. Oh, that's
1: deep. It's a lot, man. You know, um, I am, I'm, I'm very fortunate to work for a, a nonprofit that um, what we do is we help bond people out of the local jail. Um, and we, you know, provide resources and support for them. Um, we also work in, in conjunction with the uh, court system to provide a very, very soft form of, uh, probation like program. Um, so this is the closest I can get to the criminal justice system without feeling like really greasy, you know, um, I love what I do and, um, kind of, uh, one of those, one of those things that, um, I just lost complete track of my, my conversation there where i was going with that wow it's silly yeah man (laughs) yeah
0: i don't know i don't know where i was going
1: with that at all i was like going yeah oh god
0: that's all right nothing buddy. well that's okay let's reset is there anything is there anything you want to plug anything you want people to know about
1: yeah yeah um understand that um I usually don't drop the ball that hard (laughs) like I did just now. That is very unusual (laughs) for me, but it does happen uh, on occasion. Um, But yeah, so the Sober Caucus, um, just to let you know. uh, So the Amber Scholarship is what we're calling the one that is available to anybody. And the reason it's called the Amber Scholarship is that is uh, in honor of a friend of the caucuses um, family member who passed away recently from an overdose. Um, that's 500 bucks. If you are listening to this and you want to go into treatment, you want to go into sober living, please reach out to us on, uh, social media, um, on Twitter. It's at LP sober caucus. Um, our DMS are always open. You can reach out to us and we can help you out with that. Um, The other one that is available to the LP members is called F the DEA scholarship, Um, you know, speaks for itself. Um, But yeah, same, same kind of situation. But um, yeah, find us on social media, find us on Facebook. And then on a personal level, you know, the Clean Libertarian podcast, it's available on YouTube. It's available on Apple podcast, all the podcasters. And I, we are on, on Odyssey now too, so. Nice. Yeah.
0: Right now, see. yeah. I'll be sure to get all of those links in the description for this video. Drew, okay. thanks so
1: much for coming and talking with us about your fantastic efforts. Hey, thank you so much. And, and y'all's effort. Here's the thing is that we can't hold a, a candle to what VIA has done. Like y'all are the OGs in this. I just, you know, I hope that we are making a good example in the, in the land that we are in. Um, but, but, yeah, thank you for for doing what you do um yeah, I love pointing out to you know, a lot of naysayers about libertarianism instantly get linked to the v i a efforts to show that, hey, yeah, we're not all you know the greedy capitalist pigs, you know,
0: well, yeah it's fun it's because it's because that's the way that the market works, that's the way people are interested in different things. You have this particular interest of helping people in this particular way and it's Mm -hmm. very very needed and we have our own way other people are going to have other ways and the more free people are to work together to come up with solutions the more and better solutions we're going to have to society's problems absolutely without a doubt well on that note drew thanks so much for talking with us you have a great
1: time thanks jeff
0: Thank you so much for watching this video. If you like what we do here, please like, share, subscribe, comment, and go over to our website where you can offer donations, request help, help us, help people who are in need voluntarily. And we'll see you next time.